0: welcome to the vancouver tech podcast i'm your host drew ogrizak and we're joined by dieter shirley of axiom then thank you for joining us dieter Oh,
1: thanks, Drew. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, about your background, and your role at Axiom's Zen?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I've been in tech uh, pretty much my whole life, uh, not just my whole career. Um, and, uh, you know, I started uh, my career as a software engineer. Uh, I got a degree from the University of Waterloo. But as time gone has gone on, I've, I've found myself... Um, being drawn much more to the ways in which, uh, business needs, um, and, uh, even things like marketing and distribution needs um, intersect with technology to come up with great tech products. So um, these days I um, I call myself a technical architect and I certainly have a very strong technical bent, but I don't write a lot of code. Um, and I find myself in, uh, in a lot of business and, and user experience definition meetings um, uh, as much as I am in, in technical design meetings.
0: When I first started getting into uh, software development, I was disinterested, I guess, with everything outside of what I thought of as tech primarily the code but as as time sort of progressed um, I became much more interested as well in the business side you know how things are managed how things are run how products uh, get spec out and what features get accepted or adopted and what get kicked back and things like that um, what about for you I guess what was the appeal there
1: well the the user experience part of it was something I was always I always cared a lot about um, you know I, I sort of came into the industry when Apple was at its uh, its low point um, and I was still an Apple fan because Apple was sort of in my mind the one company in the industry at that point who still put user experience first the business side I I didn't understand, um, and I just wasn't very good at. Um, but I, I, it didn't take me very long to realize that that if we wanted to do interesting technology, right, it had to be something that could make money, and it had to be something that people wanted to use. That technology built for technology's sake very rarely went anywhere, uh, and so I think it, that's just. I just was drawn into that because I wanted my technology to matter um, and technology doesn't matter if there's no business model and um, and if no one wants to use this stuff.
0: That, that's a very good point. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about, uh, at least from what I know, blockchain is being used uh, at Axiom Zen and there's even a kind of blockchain team, is that correct?
1: That's right. So um, Axiom Zen is a, is a company that is always investigating all sorts of new technology. So we, we start our own startups. We partner with external uh, investors to build startups with them. Uh, we build uh, companies for Fortune 500 companies um, uh, and, and other industry groups. Um, but we're always trying to to break new ground. Um, we're not interested in building Me Too products. And so blockchain is something that you know we've been looking at from day one. I, I remember my first day at Axiom Zen in 2013, the whole office was a buzz because they had just had someone come in and do a lunch and learn on cryptocurrency and everyone was talking about Bitcoin and and I was like, actually, I've got some Bitcoin. Um, I've been I've been into Bitcoin for um I don't know, I guess three or four years at that point in time. Um, and so uh, it was, you know, it, it was something that we've always been been looking at. But of course, this is the year that, um, you know, to get back to our previous point where it's it started to be something that you can build a business around. Um, and so... Axiom Zen is is currently exploring several opportunities. Um uh, we're looking at two or three ideas that are solely internal, things that we can execute on our own. Um uh, we've also uh, been talking to a couple of partners where for projects that that make sense with some uh say industry insiders um from from the 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 various industries that we're targeting uh to to do joint uh projects in that space um it's you know crypto cryptocurrencies blockchain is is digital money and money is everywhere in every industry and so there's really no no limit to the opportunities and so the the big question is is what are the ones that we can move most quickly on um, and and who we can find the right partners to work with on so I'd like to kind of
0: get some definitions here. Oftentimes when uh, we hear blockchain, people conflate that with cryptocurrency or vice versa. Uh, what exactly is, what do we mean when we say blockchain?
1: Yeah, I, uh, so I draw the line between public broc- blockchains and private blockchains. So so blockchain itself is, um, is a really clever technology, which of course was pioneered with Bitcoin. Um, and fundamentally, it's a way of storing uh, a series of transactions or, or a series of events, a log of events, um, in a way that a large group of people, or, or just any size group of people for that matter, um, can always agree on what's in that log without any, any possibility of the history of that log being changed. Um, so... Um, it, the obvious implications for finance are really straightforward if you have two banks and they want an agreement of when all, all the times that they've spent, sent money to each other, uh, blockchain is an awesome technology for that. Bitcoin, of course, introduced the public blockchain, which, is, which basically said, hey, we can because we have this technology that lets us have this um, indelible log of, of transactions that have occurred, that everyone has agreed have occurred, we don't need a bank. We don't need, everybody can sort of be their own bank. Um, and so that's, that is where cryptocurrencies have risen from. So that core technology blockchain, when it's distributed as a, a public blockchain is, I think, fundamentally uh, a disruptive technology. It's basically saying we don't need banks um, we don't even necessarily need government uh, governments to define currency for us, to find fiat money for us. Um, we can just do everything in the cloud in this decentralized way where no one's in charge but the code. So what makes blockchain
0: um, special or, or stand out from, say, just a regular database where maybe you lock down um, permissions to, to uh, write to it or to um, rather edit or update the data?
1: Um, it's... I guess it's because, um, all right, so let's just imagine you and I, Drew, uh, we, we decide that we want to we keep track of all the times we've had lunch together and who's paid for lunch. And so we each have a copy of a database um, and, or one of us has a copy of a database and we put some administration privileges in it that says we can never change uh, the value uh, once it's been written in there, right? I bought lunch on Tuesday, you bought lunch on Thursday. Um, but if I'm the one that's running that database, how do you know that I don't change my admin password? I use my admin password to go in there and fut- futz with it. Or how do you know that um, I didn't actually erase the entire database and recreate it from memory um, and and change the things in such a way that it looks the same to you? Um, if we have each have a copy of the database and our databases are different, how do you know that... I'm the one that's in error and not you um, are the one that that has a, a bad copy of the database. How can we agree on that? Uh, and blockchain answers that. And the way it answers that is unfortunately a little bit technical and, and difficult to um, describe quickly and easily. But it basically means that once we agree on a fact, that fact has, in a sense... Um, it has all of history baked into it, and so so long as we can agree on the most recent piece of data, neither one of us uh, can effectively change any of the past pieces of data. And so, if it ever becomes the case that your database is different than my database, it will be incredibly obvious, and we would immediately the soon the second that you change that database, I would notice there would our two databases would be out of sync um, because the the new record that we tried to write into it couldn't possibly match because it's dependent on history. And so you could never trick me or I could never trick you. Um, and that's fundamentally what it's about, is, is, that, is that even if I have full control over my copy of the database, you know that I haven't, uh, I haven't tampered with it. And that's kind of amazing. So that seems to me like everything sort of
0: hinges on agreeing with the recent events that have happened. Um, what happens when you don't or what measures are in place that ensure to ensure or to help
1: uh, agreement? Well, it, agreement. it's yeah. funny that you should say that because, of course, that's exactly what happened this summer uh, when uh, blo- uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash forked. Uh, they disagreed on how to continue moving forward. So that was a protocol disagreement where one group said... Um, you know, the network's becoming slow. We're not able to process enough transactions. The easiest way to process more transactions is just to allow more transactions, um, which means more data being transferred. And the blockchain core team said, no, we don't want to have more data transferred because that makes um, that makes it more difficult for people to participate in the network and the, the data sizes become unwieldy. Um, we think we have some ideas for supporting more transactions without necessarily increasing the data size so much Um, and there was a disagreement and so now there are literally two blockchains that um, were both originated uh, with the original bitcoin and up until June of this year they they were in agreement Um, and now they're no longer in agreement and they can never ever merge Um, and like I said it's It's very obvious. It's immediately obvious. Uh, No one could. No one could trick. You know, Bitcoin Cash couldn't trick the Bitcoin uh, group into um, into trying to recognize their transactions. They're they're separate at this point. But um, there is no way to enforce continued agreement, Um, and so that is a problem. And that's what we've seen with the with the Bitcoin fork. Um, But. It's still the case that even with Bitcoin Cash um, and Bitcoin having forked, that everything that happened before June, they still agree on. And there's no way for anyone um, mathematically to change that history. So, uh, so now we've kind of established
0: uh, blockchain and, and what blockchain is. Um, then there's cryptocurrency. Uh, is blockchain necessary for cryptocurrency and is cryptocurrency the only uh, sort of thing that blockchain is good for?
1: I don't think anyone's come up with a... So PayPal is cryptocurrency, uh, not cryptocurrency, it's digital currency. Um, decentralized currency is what most people mean by cryptocurrency and, and decentralized currency, uh, decentralized blockchains um, don't work without Cryptography. So I think in terms of cryptocurrencies, we don't know of any way to develop cryptocurrencies that don't use blockchain. Um, And I think if we came up with another way of doing digital currencies that didn't use blockchain, we'd actually probably find a different name for it than cryptocurrency. So I think, yes, the way we're defining cryptocurrency, Ethereum um, and uh, Bitcoin and Litecoin and, and everybody there, everybody in that space, those are all cryptocurrencies and they all depend on blockchain technology um blockchain can be a record of any sort of transactions um the most interesting thing because it is you know most transactions that we have in the real world aren't trading chickens for cows it's trading chickens for money and money for cows assuming you uh, are in the business of chickens and cows um, but and so it's sort of the ultimate abstraction if you can do money then you can do basically any kind of transaction and so i think can you could you put chickens and cows on the blockchain yes you can and and if you're a if you are doing if you're running a feedlot that might actually be very interesting and important but i don't think that you would sell the chickens and cows on the blockchain you would turn them into into some sort of currency and track that on the blockchain and so blockchain from
0: uh, the way you've just described uh, that may be quite useful for any sort of thing where you have records that you want to keep and uh, keep track of. and I guess there's the the other aspect to this now is the um, the decentralization and the transparency into that, um, which may or may not be desirable for all sorts of transactions.
1: I'd recast your your first statement there a little bit. Um, it's whenever multiple people need to have records of something that happened in the past and they need to agree on what those records were and there we it's important that those records don't change so if I want a record of the times I've had lunch I can just store that in a database that's not a concern but if it's if we're both need to agree on the times that that we went to lunch together, um, and especially if there's some value like um, you know I owe you lunch or you owe me lunch, then that's where that's where blockchain uh, becomes very interesting.
0: So I guess something uh, such as public records um, or government uh, could be an interesting use case.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the one of the really um, one of the things that a lot of people are looking at uh, for blockchain usage is for uh, real estate records um, and uh, property records. So, for example, in the, the United States, they don't have a uh, most most jurisdictions don't have a centralized property registry. Um, they actually are based on a deed system, a title system. And so that means if you go and buy a house in the United States, and and you need to get a physical deed, um, and you need to hold on to that—that's the proof, the legal proof that you own that um, that property. Um, needless to say, it's that's, that's a real problem because. If someone hands you a deed, um, how do you know it's valid? How do you know it's the right deed? You have to literally go and, and ask the, the government if this is the right deed, and if they don't have a record, they might not know. And so, there's a whole system in the United States of, of called title insurance um, and other jurisdictions just to decide who owns a house, um, and that's something that blockchain can do absolutely trivially. Um, the trick, of course, is, is that um, it's still you know we still live in a world where The government is ultimately going to be the one to enforce who owns a house and so if i have a blockchain token that says i own my house and i assign that to you i don't think that there are very many courts that would uh that would actually say no you know oh this this token was assigned to drew therefore he can live in Dieter's house if i said no the court would say well that that doesn't matter and so how do you how do you bridge that gap between the existing you know mechanisms and and these new digital mechanisms and that's, a, that's something that a lot of companies are trying to crack right now. ICO, what does it mean and why is this such a hot topic? So ICO stands for Initial Coin Offering. It's a play on the term Initial uh, Placement public. Offering, IPO. I- ICO is Initial Coin Offering, and it's, it's a, an unusual way of raising money that cryptocurrency uh, and public blockchains has enabled. Um and there are a lot of people that are, are taking advantage of that. So, um, the, some of the early versions uh, of that, and I'll use Ethereum as example, although it wasn't the first one to do it. Um, it, they made sense. So Bitcoin was created um by someone we don't actually know who exactly um and was released for free out into the public. And now that system is collectively worth several billion dollars. Um, the creator of that system, kept some of the coins for themselves, so uh, if that person still exists and still has control over the private keys uh, of that system, they're a billionaire, which is kind of awesome. Um, on the other hand, you know, that was originally released, you know, six years ago, and, and it was only really in the last two years that that, that stake would have been worth any non-trivial amount of, uh, of, of real money, if I can say that. Sorry, I'll get in trouble with other crypto people. Um a fiat currency. So, I think the 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 point of the ICO is say, hey, if we're going to create, if we can create a a an economy with this much value. So, in the case of Ethereum, right? Ethereum is also a, an economy has also created an economy that's worth billions of dollars. Why should we have to wait uh, until it's worth billions of dollars before we get any money? Because we have to do the work now, and so. They basically said, well, we, we get some investors. So let's sell some Ethereum now. We think they're going to be worth more in the future. Maybe other people will think they'll be worth more in the future. And we can get some money up front to help develop it. And of course, that's what happened. Um, people who bought into the Ethereum ICO uh, have probably done incredibly well for themselves. Um, but now other people are coming along and saying, hey, like, what if we're not building a new cryptocurrency? What if we just want to build a new way of selling advertising on the Internet? Or if we want to try and solve... You know, one or all of these problems that I mentioned with real estate. What if we are looking at gaming communities and we want to create virtual currencies that have all of the great blockchain properties uh, uh, inside video games? We're going to be creating economies that have value. Why can't we use that same mechanism uh, to raise money? And, and of course, many of them are. Smart contracts. What are smart contracts? Why are they interesting? The hmm. so smart contracts are interesting because they are neither smart nor contracts. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I make that joke, but I think it's really easy to misunderstand co- smart contracts. Um, and I, I talk to people or I hear people or read things that, where people who have, a, who have a good understanding of what a contract is dramatically misunderstand what a smart contract is. Because of that misleading name, a smart contract should be called a scripted account. So, what it is is it's it's like a, a bank account. Um, it's that can hold currency. So, an Ethereum smart contract can hold is is an account that can hold currency. You can put Ethereum into it, and then it has code attached to it that decides whether or not that. Um, that asset goes out and if it does go out where it goes to. And so you can create these these scripts um, to create any sort of programmatic um, uh, algorithm to decide how to disperse these funds. Um, but fundamentally, that's what it is. it is. You can create an, an account and it can keep track of things. It can assign assets you can create new assets as well right so that all of these tokens a lot of these tokens are being created on ethereum so you create a smart contract that defines a new kind of token and assigns it to people but that's all it does is it just it's just a script that that keeps track but because it's being executed on this blockchain um anytime it's run it's being checked by multiple people to make sure that the output is what it should be based on the code and once the code has been run and the results of that execution are in a block, they can never be changed. And so it's a, it's a, it's a way of, of encoding. If you can encode certain rules into a software script, um, then you can have things that in the past would have required contracts um, be handled programmatically. There are a ton of things that real-world contracts do that smart contracts don't do. It's better to think of them as scripted accounts, yeah. Let's actually
0: hop over now to uh, talking a little bit more about Axiom Zen, about um, the types of problems that you're solving with your team and the types of people there. From my, uh, from my experience with um, meeting people from Axiom Zen, it seems like there's, it's a group of incredibly um, passionate and smart people working on very interesting problems. You said you don't want to be, uh, and you don't have any of the sort of me too projects, but it's it's sort of uh, cutting edge. There's, it seems like there's hands in VR, in AR, in machine learning, um, obviously blockchain uh, and all sorts of other things. So what sorts of people join the team? What's the culture
1: like? I think that the first thing that's most obvious when you meet people from the Axiom Zen team is... You know they're smart. They're they're passionate. They're driven. Uh, But I think I've found that at other companies as well. You know I used to work at Apple. I've I've worked very closely with uh, lots of other high tech companies, Um, and that groups like that are actually not that hard to find. Uh, it's valuable, it's important, but it's it, it it does happen fairly frequently. But I think Zen is incredibly unique because it is such a cooperative and collaborative environment um, where everyone is really, really focused on making sure that everyone else is um, able to get their stuff done. Um, it's not just about them. There's very little cover your butt kind of uh, behavior here. There's very much this idea that we're all working on something great and we all want to see each other succeed. Um, so it's, it's a really fabulous environment for that. And and I think that that comes directly from, you know, the way the company was structured or it could be argued isn't structured, the very, very flat, very little hierarchy. Um, I, I don't think anyone really has a boss here. Um, we have responsibilities, we have Different people are responsible for different things, but, you know, we're always really focused on, on the goals and, and people are empowered to reach the goals directly uh, rather than, than, you know, sort of being told what little jobs to do.
0: So does that, um, does that mean that people are very collaborative? Is it open workspace? Are there quiet spaces? Do people pair? Do people not pair?
1: Oh, it's, a, it's incredibly collaborative as there's a lot of, um, uh, of interaction between team members, you know, most of the projects we're working on, I, I think, I think most projects and most, you know, especially in the software world, is just my experience in the software world, there's sort of two phases that you go through. One is sort of the definition phase where you're not really sure what you're building and, um, you're not exactly sure how it needs to manifest itself. Um, and, and there's a lot of experimentation going on. And then there's sort of the execution phase where you're like, okay, you know we know we have to do these 10 things it's going to take you know 3 weeks to do them let's let's just go heads down and 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 push hard um honestly m- most of the time at axioms and we're sort of in that first mode rather than the second um most of the companies i've worked at um you're in that first mode for for a full year or two when a new product is uh, comes out of the gate um and it usually takes at least 18 months before you're sort of At that point where you're like, you have such clarity from your users, from the market, um, and and from, of course, your own internal experience that you know exactly what needs to get done. And you're you're starting to really solve these big problems and you know exactly how how they need to be solved. It's just a matter of getting through them. And so, so much of the work that's done at Axiom Zen is is very collaborative, very experimental, um, very discussion driven. Um, And uh, it, it makes for a really dynamic environment. Of course, we do have uh, times. You know, you talk about the quiet area and whatnot. We do definitely have places in, in the office that are um, walled off because sometimes, you know, even if it's experimental, you you sort of know what you want to achieve, even if you don't know how uh, how that's going to perform in the product, and so you, you need to focus. Um, but I think that more often than not, uh, folks at Axiom Zen are are interacting with their their coworkers uh, more than their. Um, they're just sort of spending heads down um, working
0: on their own. So if people want to follow along see what products uh, XM Zen's working on or you know are there, are, are, what are some good resources to do so, or if they want to reach out to Axiom Zen or to yourself? Um, and also, are there, are there meetups? Uh-
1: yeah, so people can uh, follow Axiom Zen uh, on Twitter at Axiom Zen Team. And of course, they can check out our website at axiomzen.co. Um, we also actually have uh, a new publication that we're doing, a daily publication called The Midas Guide. Uh, And you can follow that on Twitter at The Midas Guide. uh, Or you can go to midas.guide, G-U-I-D-E, um, one of those crazy new URLs, new TLDs, uh, and sign up and and we'll we'll get you an email there. And there's also an excellent Telegram group um, that we have. uh, Several several smart folks from Vancouver, actually, um, uh, who are in the blockchain space uh, are on there. And sharing thoughts is a really, really nice smart group. Um, just talking about blockchain and, and Icos and uh, just just sort of sharing the enthusiasm there. Why the Midas guide, by the way? Midas. Everything he turns, turned to gold. And it seems like uh, that everything that blockchain touches turns to gold these days. So... Um, all things blockchain, we're inviting you to learn about all things digital digital gold. Well, uh, Dieter Shirley of Axiom Zen, thank you so much for
0: being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast.
1: It was a pleasure, Drew. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YBR dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Vantech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team. Slack channel VanDevs Do
1: you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca
0: Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Park Attack. See you at one of the meetups Around, Around Town,
1: town.